Good morning again. Uh, my name is Josue Pernillo. I'm the pastoral intern here. If you are a guest or it's your first time with us, I do want to extend a special welcome. Um, and if you could please turn your Bibles now to the book of Philippians, chapter 1, verses 21 through 26. That will be our text for today. Philippians 1, verses 21 through 26. I'm short, so I got to move the mic. All right. So when I said I was short, everybody looked up really quickly, as if to affirm that I was short. I hope it has been affirmed. Uh, <laughs> oh, that's not in the sermon notes. Anyways. <laughs> All right. Philippians 1, verses 21 through 26. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which shall I choose, I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. Let us pray. Lord, thank you for this morning. Thank you that you are a good God who watches over your people. As we look into your word, O oh Lord, open our hearts that we may see what you call us to in this life, that we may rejoice in the gospel, be fervent in prayer, and be committed to live lives that glorify you and you alone. We thank you for this time, and in Jesus' name we pray, amen. I have a question for everybody this morning, it's a simple question. It's how do you make decisions? How do you make decisions? I think how we choose what to do and how we do it says a lot about who we are and what we find important. How do we choose where to live, who to marry, what career path should we continue? We live in a time of choices. One of my old professors used to say, when he was little, there was only two types of genes. Now there's like a thousand types of genes. Which one do you choose, right? We live in a time of a thousand different directions. And what should be our purpose and direction as we continue on our pilgrim's journey? Choices can be a paralyzing thing, or they can become a reckless thing, where we either choose too wildly or we refuse to choose. I come to reflect on my choices when I play a game called Settlers of Catan. If you don't know the game, it is a board game, and I am terrible at it. The reason I'm terrible is because I don't try to win. I always try to get the longest road. So when I play with people, and I played with someone recently who said, your choices don't make any sense. And then she laughed at me. But then because she didn't know, my only purpose is to get the longest road. And so I never win. In Settlers of Catan, the stakes are pretty low and it's silly. But the big choices in life have bigger consequences. Our choices reveal who we are and what our purpose is. And we will see in today's passage how Paul uh, commends us to consider 
the big questions of life and our purpose. This week, we are looking at the letter of Philippians. The letter contains many beautiful themes such as humility, joy, Christology, eschatology, friendship, and the point of today's sermon, living with a gospel mindset. Today's passage, we see something special. We see the internal dialogue of the apostle. He invites the Philippians and us to consider how he makes decisions. And we will see from this internal dialogue that because Jesus is our life, we can live with purpose. We will see that in three points. Because Christ is our source of life, we can live with purpose. Because Christ is our goal in life, we can live with purpose. And because Christ is our manner of life, we can live with purpose. Let us consider the first point. Because Christ is our source of life, we can live with purpose. And that's from verse 21, which I will read again. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. This verse serves as a transition, and the verses that follow serve as a connection between Paul's struggle and his commendation and care to the Philippians. Verses 12 through 20 deal with Paul's problems. He's in prison, people are speaking against him, and he tells them what he lives about. Chapter 1, verse 27 to 2, verse 18, deals with his apostolic care towards the Philippians. And this, these verses that we're looking at today is the connection between the two. Paul has explained the purpose of his life and his confidence in Christ, and then he gets personal. He begins by saying, for me. This is not meant to be a comparison between other people. He's not saying like, for me, I don't know about you, but for me, that's not what he's saying. He has finished updating them on his ministry, and he's inviting the Philippians to enter his thought process. He enters, if you remember high school English, a soliloquy that we can read. Soliloquy means like, like Hamlet, he does soliloquies. Anyways. So as, we, as he begins to invite them into his thought process, he says, for me. And what does he say? For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. So let us look at those two statements. First, to live is Christ. In the original language, there is no is. It literally translates to, to live Christ. That's all he said. Christ, as Paul understood it, is the source of life. He is what gives life meaning and debt. Paul considers his ministry, and he's able to say, Christ is life. He considers, as we read this morning, all the things that he has been through, the shipwrecks, the persecutions. And what he says is that his life is Christ-centered. As one commentator put it, as a tree depends totally on water, earth, and sun to bear fruit, so Paul depended totally on the life of Christ to bear fruit. He is a man solely focused and centered on Christ. It is his primary source of meaning and fulfillment. It is what made the rest of his life full. If from reading from the book of Acts, as we read this morning, we could have come up with a statement that summarized his life, this would be it. This is what summed them up. To live is Christ and to die is gain. For Paul, truly his life reflected the fact that his source was Christ. It's what he was about. But this overflows into the second statement. To die is gain. In the original language, again, you might hear me say that phrase a lot, there's an alliteration that's impossible 
to mimic in English. It's almost like a song lyric, to live is Christ and to die is gain. But although they are presented as alternatives, they're deeply related. Here Christ is explicitly his source of life, even in the face of death. But we have to take a step back and consider what Paul is saying. What does he mean by gain? This can be taken two particular ways. Gain could mean the life of Paul has lived is so centered on Christ as the source of that life that in his martyrdom, it serves as a proclamation of that source. Therefore, it is gain because in his death, he's able to proclaim Christ and reflect his sufferings, which we saw from the book, from the reading this morning in the book of Acts. Or it could mean that in dying, Paul gains Christ, which has been the center and the source of his earthly life in fullness and in unfettered riches above. He goes on to be with Christ. The truth of the matter is, it's probably both. As the focus of the passage, since Christ is the fountainhead of life, our purpose is closely tied with that source. So whether we live physically or die physically, Christ is life. Christ as the spring of life helps shape all of these realities. As we begin looking into the internal dialogue of the apostle, we are invited to contemplate the things that we consider to be the source of our lives. For Paul, the source was Christ, and that helped shape his perspective of life and death. It helped give him purpose and direction. It helped the way he considered his context. And as he shares with the Philippian believers, he is inviting them to understand that Christ is the source. So regardless of the circumstance they found themselves in, it wasn't meaningless. There was always a purpose. The reason I try to get the longest road is because I'm terrible at Settlers of Catan, and I hate losing, and so I'm scared of losing. My purpose becomes not to lose. It's what dictates my choices. We are tempted in this life to put other things as a source and the center. Those things that we would consider if we lost, our life would be undone. Those things that we are afraid to lose and to live without. But Jesus, as the source of our life, is an invitation to fully live. We are called to be a people of a central passion. But this isn't a limiting thing. It's what gives all other things shape and meaning. You can hear this exhortation that to live is Christ and to die is gain, or that Jesus is the source of our life, and consider that I am telling you there are things you can do and there are things you can't do, but you would miss the point. Jesus as the source of our life means that he is our unshakable center. Jesus is the source. So even when all those things that we are afraid to lose or those things that we build our lives upon are taken away, we are still in Christ. We have a source that is unshakable and unmovable and he'll never let us go. This is an invitation to live with purpose, not because we know everything that the future holds, but we know who holds the future. Jesus is what gives our life shape. And even in the face of death, we do not have to be afraid. 
our lives, as it says in the book of Colossians, are hidden in Christ Jesus. So we can say, yes, we long for Christ to be the source that satisfies our hearts and our lives, but what does that look like? And so we go to the next point. Because Christ is our goal in life, we can live with purpose. Paul continues his external processing, and this is verses 22 through 24, and as he explores his life and his death. For clarification and goal here, and Luke told me I had to clarify. I'm kidding. <laughs> we take a note from the confession to say that Paul, what is Paul's chief end? By goal, I mean, what does he hope to achieve? And here in verses 22 to 24 serves as a parallel and almost a further explanation of verse 21. He continues his internal dialogue. And then this sort of internal dialogue, we have an even deeper picture of the sort of purpose that Paul lives with. He is struggling between two options because he compares two things, fruitful labor and departing to be with Christ. He exclaims he is hard pressed between the two. But first, we should explore. Did Paul truly have a choice? Some commentators note here that Paul is just being expressive in his thought and language. That he was bound to his destiny, and others say that he is in a genuine dialogue. Perhaps he's even considering what he's gonna do when he's released. In either case, whether Paul in this specific instance had a choice or not, what is clear from the book of Acts as we read this morning is that Paul made choices. It is unclear to say in this text everything that Paul was actually able to choose. But we can say that Paul in his choices always reflected the sort of character that's described in these verses. His choices were reflective of his purpose and his goal to glorify God, and to enjoy him forever. So let's explore those two options as Paul says it. Paul is wrestling first. He begins by describing life in the flesh, as we see in verse 22. In this specific instance, Paul is saying life in the flesh is physical life. This serves as a parallel in verse 21 to live as Christ. Here, he describes his physical life as full of fruitful labor. He has spent various verses describing his ministry. And here he continues that theme by explaining the aim of that ministry is fruitful labor in his life and in the lives of others. What is Paul's labor? His labor is proclaiming Christ and for Jesus to be magnified in his life. His purpose here is magnifying Christ and serving his people. Even though Paul is in prison, it does not hinder his witness. Rather, he proclaims the gospel all the more fervently. His fruitful labor is both in his proclamation and as we will see soon, in his service to the people of God. Her, his purpose is tied with his goal. His goal is to glorify Christ. But that's not all. Paul's second choice is that of departing and being with Christ. And that's similar parallelism to, to die as gain. In Paul's letter, he is always longing to be near to Christ, to know him and the power of his resurrection. Here, he continues that goal by describing the ultimate goal of being united to the Lord. Paul is not saying that he hates life. He's not saying that he wants his life to end. Rather, he's saying that he lives for Christ 
and he cannot wait to see that for which he has longed for. He has a preference, even in the text he says, for that is far better, to be with Christ in an unhindered way. In Greek philosophy, which was common in his day, many philosophers hated the physical and saw it as meaningless and as a hindrance. So to the Greek philosophers, death was better because it provided an escape from this physical prison. But that's not what Paul is saying. Paul is saying that in his flesh, he lives for Christ. And he also says that in his death, he lives for Christ. The goal of life is not to live or die, but it's Christ. That's why he finds himself in a quagmire. If he lives, he lives to proclaim Christ and serve his people. If he dies, he goes on to be with the Lord in an unhindered way. So whether he lives or dies, Christ is the goal. That's what he's inviting the Philippians to consider. The purposes for which you live show the goals of your life. For Paul, it was Christ. The considerations of the future were shaped by Christ and his glory. We all have goals and dreams, places we want to see and things we want to experience, food we want to eat. I like food. And we have a potluck afterwards. I know some people are dreaming about that potluck right now. The passage is not saying that we should not consider the future. That the passage is not saying that we shouldn't have goals. Rather, it frees us to have the appropriate goals. In this world, if you have a goal and you do not achieve it, you're a failure. So we can become paralyzed to make choices because of mistakes. Think about it. If the goal of your life is to be rich, what happens when you don't get the right job? If the goal of your life is to be popular, what happens when somebody insults you or you do something embarrassing? If the goal of your life is to be smart and successful, what happens when somebody knows more than you or is more capable than you? So fear of not gaining what you long for or losing what you have begins dictating your goals. But Christ as the goal of our life frees us from this fear. Our direction is Christ. There is a danger with the previous application that we should hear that Christ is the source of life and think that that means that the only way we can live to glorify Christ is as a pastor or as a full-time missionary or as a full-time evangelist. But that's not what Paul is saying. These verses help us understand that. Paul is not telling us that we have to live at church. I'm here a lot because that's my job, right? <laughs> Rather, we are to live in Christ, meaning that we can have real and meaningful choices within the sovereignty of God because our goal isn't just to be rich or to be popular or to be successful. We can have a wonderful career and serve Christ in our workplace because Jesus is the goal. We can have a beautiful family whom we love and serve because Jesus is the goal. We can be rich or poor, smart or dumb, beautiful or homely, successful or struggling, capable or needy, and not be defined by these things because Jesus is the goal. So attorneys, janitors, engineers, social workers, students and teachers, and all of us, we can live for the glory of God. In those spheres of life to which God has called us, Christ is the goal. We can serve the coworker that gets on our last nerve. We can show patience to the difficult child or to the unforgiving friend. 
We can be calm when people cut us off on the road or when a person at the supermarket is taking too long because Jesus is the goal. We can live with purpose. Jesus has called us all to a specific place, but our goal is the same, to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. So Christ, as a source of our life, provides an unshakable center so we can live with purpose. Christ, as the goal of our life, provides direction so we can live with purpose. But then what is it that he's actually calling us to do? And so we go to verses 25 through 26. Paul finally comes to the conclusion of his thought process. He, now convinced of the things that he has considered, proclaims that he knows that he will remain with them. It's a bold statement. It is rather confusing, and the commentators have a long discussion about it, whether Paul had information that he was going to be released or whether he wasn't, whether he was just speculating. But what is clear from the text is that Paul longs to serve the Philippians and to see their progress, as it says in verse 25, and joy in the faith. So we're going to explore the manner in which Paul lives in these verses and what that says about his purpose. He explains two reasons why he desires to stay with them, their progress and their joy. Verse 25, I know that I will remain for your progress and your joy in the faith. Here we see the sort of mindset that Paul had. He knew that it was far better to be with the Lord for him, but for the Philippians, it was of greater importance for him to remain. So he comes convinced to stay, to remain with them. He stays because he's convinced of fruitful labor for the sake of the Philippians. The progress of their faith will be a central theme for the rest of the letter. And in these transition verses, Paul's talking about himself to the Philippians to challenge them. He will challenge them further on issues of Christian living, humility, Christ-centeredness, and more. This is the reason for wanting to remain with them. Not because it's beneficial for him, but because it's beneficial for them and their faith. He wants them to progress. So he shows the sacrificial Christ-like attitude. He considers another before he considers himself and he gives of himself. He wants them to grow, so he wants to remain. His purpose is tied with his way of life. He is concerned with them, so Christ is his manner, and his purpose is clear. It is not only their progress, but also their joy. We see that in verse 25, but also verse 26. He clarifies to them that he wants them to have ample cause to glory and to boast in Christ Jesus in Paul because he came to them again. The Greek is super confusing. It's like a jumble in this verse. Uh, but what he's saying is that there's an intricate and deep relationship between Paul, the Philippians, and Jesus. They're both united in Christ, and so they're united to each other. He's saying, when I come to you, I want you to glory in Christ, that I come to you, boast in Christ. The focus, again, is not Paul or his ability or his eloquence or the Philippians and their struggles and their provision, but Christ. The source, the goal, and the way of life is Christ. Therefore, their purpose is clear and the direction is obvious. Paul longs to remain with them and serve them because his manner of life 
is Christ. Paul reflects Christ in his way of life, that self-sacrificial, loving way to give of himself to others. Our way of life is also called to be that Christ-centered, self-sacrificial manner. We are called to give. Paul is encouraging the Philippian believers to have a different lifestyle. Not, that, not one that is centered on taking, but one that is centered on giving. The concern really is that we should be generous and willing to do things for the sake of each other, especially in church. Giving is a particularly hard topic to talk about in church, not only financially, but to give of ourselves. I think we all know that we are called to give to each other, to give of our time, our patience, and our efforts. Sometimes I think that I'm afraid to give, even as your intern, because I'm afraid that I'll have nothing left, or because there have been times in my life where people have taken advantage and I'm afraid it'll happen again. That if I'm asked to give this or that, all of a sudden, I will be overwhelmed with the things that I'm being asked. But Christ, as the way of life, frees us from these fears. The fear of being taken advantage of. First, within the bounds of wisdom, it is also appropriate to say no to things. It's okay to say no. It's hard for me. I'm telling myself that more than anybody else. We should know our limits and know when helping might actually serve as a hindrance. And at the same time, the general attitude of our hearts should be one of generosity because Christ is generous with us. Because although we are takers of his grace, he does not shut the valve of heaven and leave us to our own devices. He is with us always to the very end of the age. Which brings us to our second fear. What if we run out? We are, of course, called to be wise and responsible managers of the gifts which God has given us. Time and money are finite things that we are called to manage with wisdom. But we, at the same time, have a good shepherd who does not forget the needs of his people. He sees each and every attempt to give, and he does not forget a single thing. We do these things for Christ and in Christ. There's a passage that I love in Matthew that I think summarizes this well. Our Lord, speaking to his disciples, says to them in Matthew 25, verse 31, When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations, and he will separate people from one another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will place the sheep on his right, but the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you, or naked and clothe you? 
And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And when, and the king will answer them, truly, I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. We serve the Lord Jesus Christ. My favorite one, if I'm allowed to have one, is when it says, I was a stranger and you welcomed me. Because our Lord does not even forget a hello. We are called to give, even if it's a hello to a stranger. Our Jesus does not forget a single thing. We serve our good shepherd. We serve the Lord Jesus Christ. We are called to be a people of a soul and central passion, as was Paul. Christ was the source of his life, so Paul had a clear purpose. Christ was the goal of his life, so Paul had a clear purpose. And Christ was the manner of his life, so, Christ, so Paul had a clear purpose. We, too, are invited to be a people of a central passion, even if it's a hello, even if it's taking time out of our day to spend with somebody in need. Let us pray. Lord, thank you for this time. Thank you that we can gather here and we look to you. You are our good shepherd. Help this to be true of our lives, that to live is Christ and to die is gain. We look to you because you alone can provide. You know all the different struggles and difficulties that people here face. And so we come to you. Help us to be a generous people within the bounds of wisdom. Help us to be defined by our gentleness and our generosity and our commitment to the truth. So we look to you, Heavenly Father, you who sustained your people throughout all generations, you who carry us now and forevermore. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.